welcome to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Welcome everybody today to an interview with one of our keynote speakers, Martha Carlin. Martha is a leader in the research and uh, dissemination of information about the microbiome and how the microbiome influences all areas of our health. She took her background actually as a systems analyst and applied it to the mystery of the microbiome and how we can understand it and how we can uh, use this emerging field of science to support the reversal as well as the prevention of disease. She has she started a company called the Bio Collective and it's an internationally collaborative organization. Is it an actual nonprofit or is it's a it's a profit company, right? It is a profit company. It's yeah. a profit company, yeah. And she works with scientists all over the world and she's considered a citizen scientist working with all of the emerge like open sourcing the information that we're all learning about the microbiome and then making it practical. So she's created uh, this phenomenal line of probiotics which we'll talk about in the interview today that touches on different aspects of our health and they're all sort of synergistically designed and it's very very interesting. Let me see what else to share you about about her. She will share her story about how she became interested in the microbiome and how she came up with a targeted probiotic line. And oh, just also to mention that she has done some research about the role of probiotics in diabetes and the potential reversal of diabetes. And she just finished a study that she's going to tell us about. Her work has been recognized by the National Health Inst- sorry National Institutes of Health. And the Human Microbiome Project. She is considered to be a leader in this space. And I'm so pleased to welcome Martha to talk with us today. Thanks so much, Borns. <laughs> so for people who aren't familiar with you, um, what got you started on being interested in the microbiome? Well, um, I actually came to the microbiome after... Uh, almost a little over 10 years of studying um, many different areas of of science, but a lot of it related to food and its impact on our health because uh, my husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the age of 44. And I looked at the dietary connections and some things that he had been eating a lot of sort of leading up to that time, which you know, he was very addicted to sugar and a lot of processed foods and those kinds of things. And when the microbiome, when I became aware of it was through Dr. Martin Blazer's book called Missing Microbes um, that came out, I think in 2013 or 2014. And it was talking about his research showing the connection between this generation that we live in that grew up in the age of antibiotics and how antibiotics have destroyed certain aspects of this thing called the microbiome, the trillions of bacteria, fungi, and viruses that live in in our bodies. And that that was leading to an increase in uh, what he called non-communicable diseases, but these chronic diseases. And it really resonated for me because um, I knew my husband had a history of infections um, and uh, strep throat in particular, but other ones as well. And so he had taken many courses of antibiotics. And so from that, I actually just started digging into this new area. Um, And it was kind of just coming out of a five-year government funded project, you know, from that ended in 2012 called the human microbiome project. And I started looking at it and talking to scientists. And later that year, the first paper was published that connected uh, the microbiome to Parkinson's. There's two primary types of Parkinson's one 
where they are tremor dominant and the other where they have uh, more uh, bent over posture and trouble walking, posture and gait. And they could divide those groups by the gut bacteria. And I said, that's it. The gut is the general ledger, you know, going back to my accounting training, you know, it's got a balance and the information is in the general ledger. And so I stopped what I was doing and um, founded the Bio Collective to look not just at Parkinson's, but to look across the microbiome. Because uh, the other thing I learned in talking to scientists who had been looking at other, quote, diseases was these common elements across the microbes in our gut that are uh, leading to inflammation in different parts of the body. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not that we have diseases, it's that they manifest, you know, the symptoms manifest out of the microbiome differently in different people. So. Right. Right. And just a little bit of, that I know from the microbiome, like I think that neurosurgery would be less complicated. It just seems like it's so, there's so much, there's so many different strains and like there's, so anyways, as you started out on this journey, did your head start to spin and did you just start to go, oh my goodness, this is, there's such complexity and, and depth here? Well, you know, for me, I've always been fascinated by complexity Mm-hmm. And I'm a systems thinker. So I really like looking at those interconnections. And, you know, one of the things I had on my wall is the, the uh, you see it sometimes in functional medicine doctors, but it's sort of the biochemistry flow of uh, in the human system. And I don't think it's fully comprehensive, but it's a, you know, it's this giant map of, this creates this and all these arrows. And, and, you know, every time I would learn a new piece of connecting the microbiome to this on the human side, you know, I would go over with my um, little uh, Sharpie and write these colors and notes and sort of make my own map. So it's kind of how my brain works, but yes, it's complicated, but sometimes in the very complex, there are also some simple things. And um, I would say along the way, learning that one of those simple things is carbohydrates, sugars, and how sugars feed through that complex system and what they do to um, shift the microbiome. Take us there. What did you learn about how carbohydrates and simple sugars, what do they do to our microbiome? Well, you know, with the the sad American diet um, is really quite heavy in glucose and fructose, and in the last 20, 30 years, very heavily uh, laden with fructose and these um, sugars that you know are metabolized differently in the body, and they they also feed more of the pathogenic bacteria. So you know, I use streptococcus a lot of times as an example, because that was kind of one of my early bugs I was looking at. Um, and it likes glucose. So if you're eating a lot of glucose, you're, you're feeding that particular microbe. And there's many researchers who also show, you know, when you're putting, um, this high carbohydrate diet in place and you're feeding certain microbes, they're making molecules that are sending signals to your brain to tell you to eat more of that. And of course, you know, you do a lot of work with helping people kind of understand how to uh, control and overcome those addictions. But there's a biochemistry going on in the gut with those bacteria when they're fed those sugars and what they produce and signal to your brain. You know, what just occurred to me is that I, and and I imagine the exact op well, or the same thing is happening that once you get unhooked from the refined carbohydrates, you're on a whole food diet, you're eating lots of whatever the whole foods are you're eating, that you start starving out the pathogenic bacteria, viruses, and fungi, right? And they start to die off, even though they're screaming at you, hello, give me, give me the donut, donut, no, 
not the scrambled egg donut. <laughs> and they're, <laughs> they're screaming at you. No, you, you didn't hear me. I don't want the salad. And, um, but yet if we just, if we, if we have support to get over that hump and we start eating whole foods and our microbiome starts to shift, then I imagine that the bacteria that love and thrive on the whole foods will start sending messages, eat more salad. Like does, does that stand to reason? It does stand to reason. And there is research showing, I think it takes about 30 days to transform the microbiome by dietary changes alone. And you'll start to see those early on. But a lot of times people won't stick with it because when you're in that remodeling period, as you're saying, when you have the die off of, you know, the bad guys or, you know, what uh, the LPS producing gram negative bacteria that like those sugars, as those start to die off, they release um, the they release toxins and sometimes you don't feel so good. So a lot of times in that transitional period, without the right support, people don't have the stick to to get beyond. And they say, oh, well, you know, that diet made me feel terrible or that, you know, our our probiotics sometimes in that first week or so of transition you know, your gut is changing and you'll notice that it's changing. Mm -hmm. And I guess that that makes sense for those of us that have got over the 30 day hump or the 90 day hump or whatever it is where you start to feel like, Ooh, my body feels better. My body, I'm not hearing those voices go eat the donut. Now I'm hearing that, Oh, let's go have a salad and some salmon. Right. And it's easy and it's effortless and it feels like almost shocking that used to think a donut looked like deep fried potato starch and rancid oil. Like what? I used to eat that. Like what? Right. It's just so baffling, but I can see, I never thought about how the microbiome and those met that feedback loop, that conversation that the bacteria, fungi and viruses are having in our guts. Um, you know, how that, how that can shift to them, make, make it easier to stay on the path. So there's a couple of questions that you sent over to me that I want to read because they're actually, yeah, they're, they're, they kind of sort of, oh, wow, that sounds deep. So from your microbiome research, um, what connections have you made through data to disruptive metabolism and insulin signaling? I'm not even sure what that means. So I'm hoping you can answer it. Sure. Well, um, you know, the, the microbiome is a metabolic organ. And so again, back to um, that, that signaling that's going on um, when you're, when you're feeding sugar uh, and fructose in particular, uh, how that's changing the microbiome. And it's actually, so fructose as an example, um, chelates minerals. Um, And in particular, uh, has a very high preference toward chelating copper. Um, copper is a trace mineral that we need a very small amount of. Um, the The current uh, recommendation, I think, is two to three milligrams a day, if I'm correct. Um, and most people are not getting that already. And then um, that's really essential to many of the molecules that get made um, from neuropeptides. So again, back to that brain and that metabolism, you need a small amount of copper with um, a scorbate uh, to make these really important neuropeptides and hormones and signaling molecules in the body. So if you don't get these minerals, not only are you as a human depleted of them, but the microbiome is also depleted of them. And so you have these little battles going on in the metabolism of, of your body uh, for nutrients. So nutrients that we need, nutrients that the microbes need. So when we have a nutrient-dense diet that, say, doesn't have uh, something like uh, high fructose corn syrup in it, um, you know, we're more able to digest and receive the nutrients and the microbes in our gut are also more able to access what they need 
to be healthy and to make all these vitamins for us. So there's a really interesting paper on the efficiency of the microbiome and metabolism and the, the gut bacteria are the primary producers of most of our B vitamins. And so that goes back again, B vitamins require a small amount of copper. Most of those are uh, copper dependent vitamins. And it's in this Krebs cycle of energy production that's going on in the gut. And, you know, we also have that in our cells. Oh my gosh. Fascinating. And I know most of us think, ah, oh, when we eat our vegetables, we're getting our B vitamins. It's like, yeah, but there's a, there's a middle step. <laughs> we eat the vegetables that feed our bacteria that make the vitamins, right? Because there are vitamins in these vegetables, but it's not, it is that we're absorbing those, but it's even more significant that they feed a certain t- kinds of bacteria that then convert the food that we eat into B vitamins as well. Is that right? Yes. And if you, if you think about it too, um, the name vitamin is vital mineral. Um, there's a, you know, there's a, a book I love. It's called the life bridge. I think it's out of print, but you can still get it on Amazon and it's called uh, the way to longevity through probiotic nutrients, but it essentially talks about how microbes make inorganic matter into living matter. So these inorganic minerals, they make them more bioavailable to the body. And they use as an example in their um, uh, nutritional yeast and selenium. So, you know, if you go out and you get a USP bottle of selenium as a supplement, it's not going to be very bioavailable for your body to uptake. Uh, but if you get um, nutritional yeast uh, that has a selenium uh, protein in it, it's going to your body is able to use that selenium. Um, I think what they showed in the study was it's something like 250 times more bioavailable to the body, which again also goes back to you know thinking about the whole foods diet. And, you know, microbial access to providing us the ability that, you know, they help break down and enable us to absorb those nutrients, um, you know, versus a shelf full of, you know, 20 different nutrients that we're taking capsule by capsule that aren't delivered in a whole back to a whole system and how the system works together. Right. Wow. Wow. So, so the bacteria play, our microbiome plays such a profound role in our breaking down of the foods that we eat and turning them into forms that are very bioavailable to our system. Yes. And even, you know, I was actually just reading a paper this morning about the vitamin D receptor in our body and how certain bacteria affect kind of the switching on and off of that receptor and our ability to, um, process vitamin D. And that makes sense to me because so, I mean, vitamin D is like, whoa, the, the vitamin du jour, right? Everyone's talking about vitamin D, but why suddenly did so many of us become so vitamin D deficient, right? And there's some evidence to suggest that sugar is impacting the absorption or use of vitamin D. Do you know anything about that? Well, again, that sugar is going to impact the bacteria that are in your gut and those bacteria are, you know, turning on and off these switches, so to speak. So that makes a lot of sense to me. It's the epigenetics piece. So we eat nutrient deficient foods in the form of refined carbohydrates, sugar, processed junk food. Not only does our body not get the nutrition it needs, but the bacteria don't get the nutrition they need. So the ones that we really, that rely on the whole foods to feed them and they're robust and thriving and converting, you know, our food into a form that our body can bioabsorb it. But, so that's not happening. We're not getting the nutrition. They're not getting the nutrition. And then what happens is the pathogenic bacteria start to proliferate. And those are the ones that just drive on sugar and they send off signals to the brain to eat more, eat more. And they also send off toxins. Can you talk a bit more about the toxic um, metabol? Is it the meta- metabolites of these pathogenic bacteria? Can you speak to that at all? Sure. So actually, one of the 
areas I've looked at quite a bit is related to something called lipopolysaccharide. And that is the cell wall of the, you know, the membrane of uh, gram negative bacteria. Um, and um, I actually just wrote a blog on, I have a Martha's Quest blog where I write about Parkinson's a lot. And I just wrote a piece called Rethinking Parkinson's Disease, all about um, microbial LPS toxins, uh, because there are actually in both diabetes and Parkinson's, there are hundreds of papers with animal models that use the endotoxin lipopolysaccharide to induce the symptomology and outcomes of, you know, Parkinson's and diabetes. And it's like, I mean, I found 550 papers using the the LPS mouse model of Parkinson's disease. And, you know, I ask myself a lot of times when I look at these research papers, it's like, okay, well, we know we developed this model to make the disease in an animal. Like, why are we not asking ourselves how this is actually happening in a real human? So these gram-negative bacteria, um, LPS, like the first time we're in, infected with a LPS producing bacteria, the immune system responds in a highly inflammatory state. But there is something that develops over time called LPS tolerance. And the more LPS tolerance we have, the less our immune system is focused on kicking them out. And so, you know, over time, you can get a buildup of this endotoxin. And I actually, back in 2015, I think, 20, somewhere around there, I found this uh, researcher at Hebrew University who had a hypothesis about other diseases after you've had an infection. I mean, it's sort of a mouthful, but it's, it's called uh, post-infectious sequela of bacteriolysis. So basically, after the bacteria are killed, what symptoms do you get after infection? And he goes through this very complex model. But what he's showing is that the body isn't fully able to clear up the LPS. And, you know, there are some other ones besides LPS. But uh, and so you get circulating endotoxin in the bloodstream, and it can go to different places in the body and cause inflammation in different places. And that comes out as subsequent other symptoms or disease diagnosis, which may actually relate back to a previous infection. And, you know, I read his paper and there were so many connections in there to what I saw in, in Parkinson's. And uh, I, I had several conversations with him. He was in his 90s. He actually just passed away about a year and a half ago and was still writing papers about this subject all the way up to then. So I became very focused on this in, my, in making the sugar shift product. Part of one of the mechanisms that I thought it would help with was reducing this these lipopolysaccharide producing bacteria. Of course, you know, as you're transitioning, you do get a die off. But um, you can't go to say, uh, Quest Diagnostics or LabCorp and just ask for an endotoxin test. There is an endotoxin blood test, but it's not on the lineup of uh, regular, uh, blood tests you can get. But because we were doing a scientific study, we did a clinical trial, um, in a diabetes cohort. And I just asked the researchers, I said, can we measure serum lipopolysaccharide before um, and after to see if we have an impact on that. And so we were able to purchase that assay and do it. And that was one of the most significant things that dropped over time in our study uh, was serum lipopolysaccharide. So we're clearing out those bacteria and the endotoxins that are associated with them. Now, I'd love to study more how that mechanism works. But right now we're just very excited uh, to have shown in our in our clinical trial that it has an impact on lipopolysaccharide.
Wow, that's fascinating. So lipopolysaccharide suggests to me fat and carbs. Like, why is it called that? So it is, it's a, it's a fat and multiple sugar, you know, so lipo is fat, right. poly is many, saccharide is sugars. Um, so these are like, so the, we eat the sugar, we, we, uh, the pathogenic, the not so friendly bacteria kind of thrive. They start to em, like emit what, how do, what, do, what well, they it, make that, that is what their cell wall is made out of. Oh, so they, they the cell it. wall is made out of uh, lipids and sugars. Okay. So then that the LPS starts to proliferate in our bodies, which is considered toxic to our system. And you can see in serums that, that possibly that metabolite um, is toxic to the system and it can show up, it can be implicated in different diseases like diabetes, Parkinson's. Right. So every time I interview you, Martha, I mean, this is the thing about Martha is we could interview her every day for the next 30 days and we will always learn something new, always. Um, and the thing that always freaks me out about my interviews with you is that I'm a child that had tons of antibiotics, tons. And then when I was in my 20s, I was a sugar, I ate sugar all day long, literally. And I wound up with cystic acne, acne rosacea. Um, I was always having infections. So I, at my longest stretch, I took an antibiotic every day for nine months, every single day for nine months. And then I wound up having chronic UTIs and I took all the really bad, like, I can't remember the names of them, but they're like, just as long as you were never on those. I was like, dozens, right? And so I always think, oh my gosh, thank God there's people like Martha who can come in and say, it's okay, take a deep breath, Lawrence. I'm working on some strains. We've got some solutions coming in. So, so if you're like me and you're like, oh man, I've been on so many different antibiotics and I can only imagine, you know, how how disrupted my microbiome has been and how profound a role it's played in my own health challenges. There's going to be some good, good news here because Martha has been and her team and these scientists all over the world are helping this figure this out for us. have been putting together these, these collections of bacteria and certain combinations that can help us with various different malfunctions in the microbiome. But the very first one I want to talk about is sugar shift and how you use that in a studies with diabetics and what was the outcome. So tell us about that combination. Sure. So I actually originally made that formula for my husband with Parkinson's because some research um, was published that showed that the sugar alcohol mannitol could stop the aggregation of the proteins in a mouse model and actually pull them out of the brain and clear them. And so I came back and I studied, actually, here's my book with all the flags that I pull out periodically. Um, you know, mannitol is a really interesting molecule. It's the most abundant sugar in nature. It is a sugar alcohol, uh, but it behaves differently than the other uh, sugar alcohols in the polyol pathway. Um, but I looked at um, how to make a formula that we could put into the gut that would convert sugars like glucose and fructose into mannitol, which humans don't use. It doesn't sp spike your blood glucose and you eliminate it through your urine and your feces. So we came up with an eight strain formula. Um, and there are three primary mannitol producers in the formula, but in combination, when we added some of the other uh, organisms to the formula, we were actually able, you know, the sum is greater than its parts. It actually does a better job as a team than if we individually looked at how those uh, converters would work by themselves. So in that process, that was our primary focus. And then we started to see how by doing that, we were reshaping the microbiome and uh, we were changing glucose metabolism potentially. And I made it for John also partly because he's, he was a sugar addict and um, he uh, 
was able to, it took him three years, but he was able to get off sugar from that. So from that, we looked at Parkinson's has difficult endpoint measurements uh, for doing a clinical trial uh, because of, you know, there are no known like blood chemistry tests or anything they do on that. And it's uh, typically uh, more subjective testing that's done. So we looked at diabetes because we had customers who had told us the product had changed their blood sugar. And um, anyway, so we did a clinical trial, you know, 30 subjects on sugar shift, uh, 30 controls for 90 days. And we measured fasting blood glucose, postprandial blood glucose, insulin, HOMA IR, which is uh, a measure of insulin resistance, but typically isn't um, measured in the U S, um, neither is insulin. And, uh, we did the serum LPS and HbA1c. And so our, you know, there was a, a clear, uh, statistical difference in the controls and the, the sugar shift in, uh, changing the trend of postprandial and fasting blood glucose. There was a reduction in, um, insulin that, uh, improvement in the HOMA IR, uh, the number one thing that shifted in that 90-day period was this serum lipopolysaccharide. And in the 90-day window, we did not get a statistically significant drop in HbA1c, but at the end of the study, uh, we unblinded the group, and then we took 10 subjects and kept them on for additional uh, three months, so for a total of six months. And that, that group that was on product for six months had about a 14% drop in HbA1c. Wow, that's significant. So it was very exciting. But the, the LPS for me was the most exciting because even though that's uh, not a clinical measurement in, in Parkinson's, um, I actually did uh, find a Cambridge researcher who's proposing an endotoxin hypothesis of Parkinson's. And I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I saw your paper while I was writing my blog and, you know, we have this product and maybe we could uh, look at doing a study. So. Oh, Martha, it's unbelievable. That's such an incredible story. So did the the, the group that were diabetic and the group that were control, uh, were, was their diets the same? There was. Well, what's so interesting. So we actually did our clinical trial in Cuba. My chief scientific officer, Raul Cano is was born in Cuba, came to the States in his teens, uh, but has developed a relationship with a hospital back there. So, you know, in Cuba, they don't have a lot of uh, diet variety mm-hmm. and they eat a fairly high carbohydrate diet because mm-hmm. um, they don't have a high level of income and that higher carbohydrate diet is uh, you know, more affordable than, and oftentimes they can't even get a lot of protein. So it was a pretty consistent, um, much more consistent, I think in diet wise than you would see here in the States. Totally. Totally makes sense to me. Absolutely. And did the group that was taking sugar shift. So just to clarify, sugar shift is the, is it 11 different bacteria that come together to eight, eight, eight sorry, eight. eight. So there's eight that come together in this synergistic blend that has done, I mean, this product is gobsmacking to me. For me, because I, I've been off sugar for so long, I, I didn't notice a shift in cravings, but I don't have them to begin with. But I did notice it made a difference in terms of bloating, um, regularity. Uh, yeah, phenomenal, like a phenomenal products. And I, I hear every, all of my clients get a free bottle from me. And they all like swear by it too, that it absolutely has helped them with cravings and digestion and elimination and other things as well. So this group that was taking sugar shift, did they notice a change in their, in their diet? Like, did they start to sort of eat less junk refined stuff and more whole foods? Like did, did that show up? Well, you know, we didn't do a study on that per se, they had a well-being survey and there was this general overall better well well-being um that they reported uh, and some people did report losing weight uh but 
we didn't, as part of the study, really focus on the food or or diet. I mean, and that's incredible, right? Because people would say, oh, I bet you the, contr- the group that was taking the product was eating, but no, they were eating the same. It was, there was, it was not a, a food intervention, a nutrition intervention. This was a microbiome intervention, right? Like that's the thing. It's so incredible. So there was, um, and I'm off the top of my head, I'm not going to remember what measure it is. It might've been triglycerides. I can't, uh, but in the the control group and the sugar shift group, there was one category where they both showed improvement. And we know that is largely due to the fibers. So the fibers that they got by themselves. And then, you know, we have the fibers, but in, in addition to the fibers, we have live bacteria that are doing more things metabolically with those fibers and with the other food that you're eating. Right, right. So interesting. So you've since gone on. So this was the first product you put together for your husband's with Parkinson, who, quick update, um, is doing well. It's doing very well. In case you're wondering, that was John in the back we heard. <laughs> and then from there, you've put together a whole bunch of other different blends. And what inspired that? Well, it's, so initially, we actually went into a room. Raul and I sat down and mapped out kind of what are all the problems people are having and how do those tie back to the microbiome. And we mapped out, you know, let's say anywhere from 25 to 30 different things. And we had also talked to different companies early on who are interested in our platform and maybe having us help them. And so we have a computational model that we can also predict how microorganisms will behave together in a system. And so we had looked at some of that and we spent about a really a week mapping out all these problems and what are the microbes that, you know, produce this vitamin or that vitamin, or there's a huge body of literature about what these microorganisms do and how they're used actually in industry to produce a lot of supplements. Plus Dr. Kano is encyclopedic. I mean, he was a professor of microbiology for nearly 40 years and really a pioneer in bioremediating oil using microbes. So he really knows how to, to work with them as a system. And so he went away and kind of did his magic and came back and we mapped out what these were and ran them through our computational system and tweaked them a bit. And then we said, okay, like, what are the ones we should start with? And we started with um, ideal immunity and heart centered on top of our sugar shift. But, you know, you mentioned antibiotics, we have one called antibiotic antidote. And that was one that actually came to be after a paper was published by the Weizmann Institute showing that this 11 strain formula was not beneficial after uh, taking antibiotics. And we looked at that and Raul said, well, I would never put those 11 strains together because it's going to make the body too acidic. It'll make it too difficult to colonize a broader population. And so we worked on a formula to help the terrain of the ecosystem, enabling restoration of a broader uh, set of bacteria. And we kind of had that one on the shelf, but we hadn't made it. And one of my advisors, uh, Steve Cosme, who's a fermentation chemist, he'd been in the probiotics business for 25 years. His mother had uh, appendicitis. She's in her 80s. She had to have her appendix removed and she got sepsis. And she was on IV antibiotics for about a month. And coming out of that, she was talking to her doctor, you know, I'm not regular. I don't feel good. My bowels are all messed up. And, you know, they weren't helping her. And Steve came to me and he said, like, when are you going to make that antibiotic antidote? My mother needs it. And I said, well, let me look and see. You know, I know we have a lot of proprietary strains. Um, And then we have suppliers for the ones that aren't proprietary to us. And so I was able to get the handful of strains that we were missing for that formula. And I said, I'll just make a small batch. 
we'll make 200 bottles. We'll see if our customers want it and you'll have some for your mom. And so we did that. And, you know, she came back. We actually have a review from her on our website. And she said it was so amazing to her how she felt restored. Her bowels were back to normal. She had energy again. And Steve kind of laughed because he said, I've been talking to her about probiotics for 20 years and she never listened to me. <laughs> now she thinks like this is the greatest thing. So, you know, is it a magic bullet for all antibiotics? You know, probably not, but it's it's definitely a step in that direction of restoring your internal terrain um, to get you back on track. So then you could take one of the other formulas after you're back on track. Got it. Amazing. Thank God these things that, that you're doing this research and helping us figure this all out. So you have, because you've got quite a number of different products there, like, so tell us about your products. So there's sugar shift, which is really to help us uh, improve our glucose metabolism, right? So we're the, the glucose, the, the carbohydrate foods that have glucose or fructose in them are converted by bacteria into mannitol, which is food for them. Um, and the rest is just passed through the system. And then you've got heart centered. And is that for people who've been diagnosed with cardiac conditions or? Well, you know, probiotics are for healthy people. They're not for conditions uh, you okay. know, from the FDA, but uh, it's really to support cardi overall cardiovascular health. So, mm -hmm. you know, the product, um, the bacteria are designed to produce CoQ10 oh. and nitric oxide. So those are uh, metabolites that are supportive for the cardiovascular system. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, interesting. And then you've got sweet slumber? Simple slumber, simple. although it is sweet slumber. So, so, <laughs> so simple slumber came, we had so many customers talking to us about their sleep problems. And Sugar Shift actually does help people with improved sleep. Yeah. Uh, but I had looked a lot at tryptophan metabolism and, uh, tryptophan of course is, uh, involved in sleep hormone production. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at a formula that of, of bacteria that could work together to produce tryptophan and bacterial melatonin for about seven hours so that you don't wake up groggy and, that we released last summer, just let's see, you know, how people like it. We didn't advertise. And that actually quickly became our second best selling product because there are so many people who have uh, sleep problems. And it is one where, you you know, you can take sugar shift and um, also take simple slumber. We tell people to take them apart from each other, but it, like you don't need to take all five of our probiotics. So we're not trying to. Um, no. In fact, I think as I was, it was going to be my next question is how do we stagger these? Because I remember last interview, you'd know, like, don't take them at the same time. No, just finish a bottle, give it, you know, and then let that do it, do what it needs to do to help with restoration, let your body work with that. And then sort of bring in the more, the other thing about tryptophan, and I'm learning this from Dr. Chris Palmer's book called Brain Energy is, is how, no. Yes, it's either his book or Dr. Lustig's book, Hacking of the American Mind. I forget where I heard it. He talks very much about how tryptophan um, ties in with the serotonin system and how it isn't just good for sleep, but it's also very much essential to the restoration of our serotonin system, which is what makes us feel happy. Exactly. And it's those microbes are very intricately involved in tryptophan metabolism. And one of the connections there, sort of back to my early looking at food, is that um, glyphosate actually disrupts tryptophan metabolism. And how do we know that? How do we know the science of that for sure? I've heard it, but then I've had other people say, no, there's no science on that. Oh, I would pull it out. I think it's down in the basement though. I have a book on all the metabolites of the shikimate pathway. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a whole section on tryptophan and the tryptophan metabolites and bacteria have that shikimate pathway. Plants have that shikimate pathway, but as they say, 
humans don't have that shikimate pathway, so it's not a problem. But actually, I you know I've been deep into uh, a kind of a mind-boggling paper on amino acids here. That um, and you know one of the things I was looking at there is part of what delivers glucose to the brain is um, you know uh, out of the urea cycle recycling. Um, going through uh, a a pathway to get glucose into the brain is um, phosphoenolpyruvate, which is uh, a metabolite that is affected by glyphosate. And then um, I'm looking at triosphosphate, which is back to a copper dependent enzyme that glyphosate chelates copper also. Fructose and glyphosate are both chelating copper. So these tiny little, tiny little things that make a difference and they disrupt things like tryptophan and serotonin metabolism. And of course, the microbiome in general, uh, glyphosate does select for a more pathogenic profile of bacteria in the gut. Really? And the foods that glyphosate show up on are pretty much non-organic produce, right? Grains and fruits and vegetables. Well, you know, I'm I'm sad to say it's it's probably worse than that. I mean, you wanna you wanna be on an organic diet as much as possible, but even better, you wanna just know your farmer. Yeah. Um, you possibly can. Um, I actually just uh, read an article by the CEO of I think the company is New. Nutiva, Nutiva, I think. And he was talking about their organic uh, chia seeds, that 80% of the product that was coming across to him, he was testing everything. And 80% of that product had paraquat in it. Different herbicide, but similar problems in connection to Parkinson's. And uh, it's virtually impossible because of the way water flows and the herbicides and pesticides that flow into the irrigation systems and the water. And then, you know, if you have an organic farm here and a conventional farm here, and they're both pulling water from the same stream, um, you're going to get those residues. And then back, I think it was 2008, Tom Vilsack, uh, who came from, I think, Iowa. He was the governor of Iowa, if I'm correct, became the head of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And he may be back in there now, but he was, uh, during the Obama administration, actually approved the use of conventional manure in organic agriculture. And of course, these conventional cattle are fed a lot of the GMO-laden well, not just the cattle, the the uh, poultry as well. Um, and we ended up doing some, we're still doing some research with Dr. Don Huber looking at the impact of uh, poultry manure that has about eight tenths of a pound of glyphosate per ton. Oh my God. No. And then these organic farms use the manure and they may use uh, anywhere from two to four tons an acre. So they're actually maybe applying more glyphosate than they don't realize it either. Um, so the the food chain, let's just say the food chain has some problems. Mm. Um, organic is typically better, but not always. I mean, you're almost better off if you can find a local farmer who is growing produce and get in a CSA and ask them, like, what do you use? When do you use it? Um, you know, right. How, oh, how do you grow this food? That's so depressing. Wow. You just think you're a little bit safe and now they found a way. All right. Um, okay. So, so much here. Um, so we've got these different product lines. So we can take the sugar shift in the morning and we can take this, the simple slumber at night. But if you've been on antibiotics, perhaps start with the antibiotic, antibiotic antidote. Let that complete itself. Let that sort of try and push out some of the pathogenic bacteria, help the proliferation of the good and friendly ones. And then maybe, maybe we start with sugar shift and the slumber one. And then maybe down the road, we could try the heart one. And is there another one as well? Well, so we have ideal immunity, which is, it's, it's an interesting product. It has a unique strain of bacteria that has, uh, so there are bacteria make these 
They're called bactericins. They're little peptide sequences that are very targeted against other bacteria. And so we happen to have one in there that is 100% effective in all our testing against listeria um, and then some of the other food pathogens, almost 100% effective. So salmonella, E. coli, um, the, and what's, so we, we sort of recommend people take that, like maybe when you're traveling. So if you think you're going to get exposed on foreign travel, or if you're somebody who eats out in restaurants a lot, um, might be a good idea to, you know, pop one of those in before you eat at the salad bar or, Mm. um, you, you eat uh, restaurant food because it's, it's got those, uh, protective bacteria since I do have people who take it every day. I have a doctor in Hawaii who actually got sick from one of his patients in the 1970s who returned from the Amazon jungle and he never got well. And so he had chronic severe diarrhea from the 1970s until like three years ago when he found our ideal immunity, he had tried all kinds of probiotics. He had tried, you know, he was taking Lamotil and anti-diarrheal medications multiple times a day to no effect. And um, his daughter found ideal immunity. And for him, he has to take it all the time. If he stops taking it, the diarrhea comes back. So there's something about how it's taming the ecosystem in a way that, um, you know, maybe it's the wolf in the system <laughs> that, that uh, you know, keeps things in check. Um, but that that one's a very um, interesting mixture and supportive of your overall immune system. Right. Got it. And that is very, very interesting. I have a client who has that problem, chronic diarrhea, and nothing, nothing, nothing helps. Like, she, I mean, she can even have it while she's fasting, right? Like, it's just, yeah, really chronic. I mean, eventually, of course, you know, she clears out and she's she's got, there's nothing left to release. but. So she said she was told that she has some sort of bile uptake, something, something to do with not being able to handle bile or something. So that's, that's interesting. Also, it's interesting because, um, you know, there's so many connections to bile and there's some research going on at the University College Cork in Ireland on um, bile related to the microbiome and also to Parkinson's. Um, mm-hmm. I can't off the top of my head sort of pull that out, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. So there is, I do have, this is like, I have things stuck all over my walls at the lab and I have this, um, you know, flip chart paper that's been on the back of one of the doors for a long time that came actually from a paper about animals. I think it was in cattle and the use of antibiotics and what it did to um, different populations of bacteria in the gut. And there's, there's something on that um, drawing. I can't pull out of my brain right now, but that is related to bile, but it, it, it impacts hydrogen production and, and, uh, bile acid production. And in, depending on what the antibiotic is, of course, you're going to have changes in population, but it really changes the gut bacteria in the cattle. And even though we don't have a rumen, it's going to do similar things to us. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to send her a bottle. It will be my gift to her as soon as we're off this call. (laughs) So you have put together um, some really generous offers for people who are like, oh, I want to try this. So you've got a 15% off coupon, which we will put the URL under your keynote speaker, uh, like when they go to check out your video. So they'll, it'll be right below this video they're watching. And then you're also going to do some draws. So do you want to tell us a bit about those draws? Sure. So we're going to give away a combination of the sugar shift and simple slumber. So we'll, there'll be three giveaways of that. Um, and then uh, we actually do something called the sugar shift challenge, uh, which is 
just to support, kind of go along the path, we we do ask people to measure some things if they are able to, but they can participate without measuring. Um, we do uh, the Sugar Shift Challenge, and we're kicking that off after your um, Kick Sugar Summit. And we're going to give away um, 10 sets of two free bottles and then a 20% discount on the uh, remaining four bottles. At, so the Sugar Shift Challenge is a six-month challenge. Okay. Um, and so we'll have 10 of those, and then we'll have uh, our uh, Sugar Shift Simple Slumber Combo giveaways. Amazing. So generous. And you know what? Taking off my interview viewer hat right now, you should totally make sure they get those markers. I mean, what an amazing opportunity for, you know what, you should find yourself a graduate student to say, okay, gear up, let's get you in here, figure out what, what you need to know. And let's use this as some sort of like soft sort of research. That's a great idea. Cause we, we've done it a couple of times. The first time we did it, we actually did it with uh, Dr. Bill Davis's um, inner circle group. And uh, he did a great job of staying on top of his people <laughs> to get them to do the blood glucose measurements. Uh, we did one last year and we didn't really have somebody who was staying on top of that. So I'm looking at a, a, a a, a way to be able to do that. So I think a graduate student working on a study project would be a, a great, great idea for that. Thanks. Lawrence. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And you know what? I just remembered I have a client named Brenda who started this journey about a year, year and a half ago. Well, she's kind of been sort of unhooking from sugar, but didn't really fully till we connected or maybe it was slightly before, but we connected. She's in my program. That's how I know her. And she, I recommend sugar shift all my clients. And in fact, I offered to buy them a free bottle. And she recently got back to me to say, oh, I just decided randomly after a year to just put on a CGM to see how I'm doing. And she goes, and it wasn't working. It was like literally broken. Nothing would change my blood sugar levels. And I'm like, oh, that's so weird. She goes, so of course, I bought another one. I said, this one isn't working. So I got another one on. Same. She's like, what's happening? She said, I had a peach. I just wanted to see what happened. If I could handle a peach, because mostly she just eats berries. She goes, I just want to see if I can have a peach without, you know, spiking my blood sugars into diabetic ranges like it used to. No change. So then she ate two peaches. She's like, no change. My blood sugar is so stable and so flat. Like she goes, don't get me wrong. I'm not using this as a license to go back and start binge eating sugar, but... And you know what? She was, she's been on sugar shift. And I wonder if now that there's enough bacteria grown that are colonized now that that stuff's just being converted and we're not getting, she's not getting these blood sugar swings and she's lost over hundred pounds. And, you know, I mean, wow. it's phenomenal what's happened for her. That's a fantastic story. Yeah. I should send her. I'm going to get her to connect to you maybe because your graduate student will have tons of those stories, Martha. And when you combine your products with people who are willing to sort of unhook from sugar and fall in love with whole foods, you know, and by fall in love, I now mean the bacteria will love them and send messages, eat more of those. Yes. <laughs> or they will love them too. We will all love them. Um, you know, what a powerful combination of transformation potential. Yes. One thing I, yeah, I do, I'll have sometimes ask people, oh, can I, you know, keep eating sugar if I take this? Well, right. You know, for us philosophically, that's not who we're trying to help. We're trying to help people who want to make a change in their their life mm -hmm. and their long term health. And mm -hmm. you know, this is a tool to help them do that. Oh, thank you for saying that. Right? Yeah, this isn't the pill that allows you to go out and continue to eat your donuts and Doritos. No, because for on other all kinds of other levels, there's still impact being done. Which which much of which we talked about that there's no nutrition in there and that sugar will still feed pathogenic bacteria. So you're not, you're not getting ahead. You're yeah. just, you're just going to spin around that. Yeah. You're putting good bacteria in there, but you're feeding the ones that are the bullies that are, have these LPS problems and on. And yeah, I think they get it enough said. Is there any final words you'd like to share today, Martha, before we wrap up today? Well, I just, like to thank you for having me again and thank you for all the all the work you do and the the people I learn about through you who are 
putting all these pieces together because I've connected with a number of you know fantastic researchers, Richard Johnson being uh, one of my favorite. Um, and uh, actually, we're doing a book club and reading his book uh, next month. And in November, he's going to come talk to my little book club. So um, anyway, I, I I thank you for everything you do. And I'm just happy to have an opportunity to tell people about the work we're doing and mm-hmm. uh, how to help them uh, make the shift and kick sugar. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much. I hope one day it's people like you truly. I hope one day it's people like you and Dr. Johnson and these pioneers that are like spending hours in the deep end of the weeds of those nerdy little journals that you held up, right? Like that that you get the Nobel Peace Prizes in medicine because, right? Like that's, these are the unsung heroes like like Martha. Anyways, thank you for your time, your products, your 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 brain that can handle all of this depth of information that's appreciated back. Thanks so much, Borns. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.